football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. While the rest of the country is tuned in to Frostburg State Wesley or Case W&J or Oshkosh Whitewater, I'll be getting ready to see the game for the shoes between Occidental and Whittier. And then while everybody else is winding down for the night, I'll have Chapman at Redlands, but I'll make sure to have some In-N-Out Burger in between. So I'm pretty sure I'll be coming out just fine when I'm in California and the rest of you are enjoying what could be the best weekend of Division Three football all season. This is the podcast where Keith McMillan and I, Pat Coleman, dive into the upcoming weekend's game. So let's uh, welcome Keith aboard. Hey, how's everyone doing? I'll be very far from California on Saturday or Texas or Delaware or Wisconsin or Western Pennsylvania. You get old and you have family obligations on Saturdays. But in this case, I'll be able to monitor all the big games, which are staggered at 1, 3 and 7 p.m. And I know you listeners don't much care what I'll be doing on Saturday, although coaching a little softball in between game watching. But I'm telling you, in case you're stuck at a kid's birthday party or a family event or work retreat or whatever. Bring the phone, hit up the D3Football.com scoreboard page, find those video links, audio links, live stats, and pipe that game right in between renditions of Happy Birthday. Yeah, this is uh, podcast number 209 for October 5th, 2018. Thanks for joining us. We mentioned on Monday's pod that week five was great. We have to think that uh, week six has the potential to be even better. Uh, we kind of teased a little bit at some of the big games. We will talk about uh, a half dozen big games in depth coming up a little bit later on in this podcast did not mention well Keith mentioned Texas but we didn't mention that it was Harden Simmons at Mary Harden Baylor that should be a great game Frostburg State is at Wesley mentioned that UW Oshkosh at UW Whitewater St. John's at Bethel RPI at Ithaca Case Western Reserve at uh, W&J and those are just the games you know involving one or two top 25 teams that's all yeah and I think there's that amazing cut of games between you know, head-to-head clashes, you know, whether they're like rivalry games, games for control of a conference race, games that basically, even though it's way early, you know, in the case of, say, uh, Harden-Simmons and Mary Harden-Baylor decide a playoff spot or which team may play at home during the playoffs, and certainly there's a lot of season left, but in, in the case of both of those teams, they look like they're crushing everyone else. But then there are also conferences like the Liberty League and the Centennial Conference where... Uh, So many teams are in action and they're right now, you know, three or four teams in the mix. You get one result that goes um, one way and then a a surprise team could be back in front or it could be a four way tie in the case of the Centennial. So there are some there are really a handful of of great cut above games. And then there are a bunch of important games and, and really across the country, all 27 conferences are in the middle of conference play now, or at least getting underway. And, uh, you got those clashes at the top. We may not have the great two-point conversions and overtime finishes that we had back in week five, but certainly week six is setting up to be memorable. Or we certainly could. Speaking of two-point conversions, we'll have a chat in a couple of minutes with Andy Waddle. He's the head coach at Marietta. His team living by the two-point conversion uh, this past Saturday with a win against Ohio Northern. He'll talk about uh, the decision to do that and a bunch of other things, including the gray turf. Yes, that's the one with the gray turf. You should, if, you're, if you can't keep Marietta straight, just think of them that way. 115 games this weekend. Uh, Keith, also this week on the site, uh, Adam Turr put out his list of the uh, ranking of the conferences for 2018. We're essentially done with non-conference play. Just a couple of games uh, here or there, most of them involving Thomas Moore. No surprise that the Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Conference is number one in his rankings like they have been in every ranking of ours Uh, since the initial one in 2002. That was the only time that they were not number one. Uh, They were number two then. Did anything jump off the page and surprise you, Keith, as you were looking through what what Adam put out there today? Yeah, um, it really always gets interesting around number five, six, seven, somewhere around there, especially since Wesley joined the the NJAC and, and either Salisbury or Frostburg State has always been good. So that really strengthened the NJAC and and they, they had at a point fallen down to where they were like in the 10 12 area that conference is number six now the top the top six are um you know as you might expect WIAC, MIAC, oac american southwest number four cciw five six and jack i think those are the pretty strong six surprise not to see the empire eight in the seven hole mm-hmm. the, the surprise is the centennial conference right there and certainly 
because so many teams are off to such a good start this season in in Muhlenberg or Sinus, Johns Hopkins, and Franklin and Marshall. That's part of the reason why those are up there. And then to see the Northwest Conference below the Empire Eight and the Centennial at number nine, I thought those those are pretty shocking. Yeah, I think Centennial is the is the outlier here. It is the highest that the Centennial has ever been ranked at number seven. They were ranked nine in our preseason ranking, and that was the highest that the Centennial had ever been ranked at that point. Um, and that includes years where, you know, now we're ranking 27 conferences, but once upon a time we only ranked 21. Of course, the new conferences are not ones that are power conferences, other than the fact that the Empire 8 kind of formed after we started doing these conference rankings. Keith, I know that... You have done them and did them for many years, and we're not here to second-guess Adam because we could do that in person, or we could have maybe maybe stopped this from happening if we wanted it to, but it's uh, it's his call. Um, and, you know, uh, we've both done we've done conference rankings together. I, I think that's what's interesting about the Centennial is uh, these are typically conferences, once you get into the top seven or the top eight, where you have conferences with teams and sometimes multiple teams who are capable of making deep runs in the playoffs and the centennial that's a part of the if there were criteria that would be a part of the criteria that they lack yeah the really hard part about doing this is there's no set rules for how you rank conferences we're obviously looking to demonstrate conference strength but does that mean best couple of teams at the top or best one team at the top representing your conference and going deep into the playoffs or does that mean top to bottom parity top to bottom strength are the the more even your conference is is that a good thing that's a hard thing to factor in and part of the reason why we don't we do we don't just do this as a list but we factor in that first month of non-conference play and then adam when he does it he includes not only the non-conference record but a signature win and then a little bit of an explanation is because you need to give your reasoning for why these conferences are where they are. And usually there's like a big midsection where everybody's bunched together and then, or maybe like an upper tier, a middle tier and a lower tier. And it's uh, it, sometimes teams float really high. And in this case, the Centennial has floated high. The uh, one of the things that has been consistent is we do really stick with wanting to see uh, a broad-based depth of teams in your conference. Top to bottom is how we measure them. You, if you know, if the YX eighth best team, their last place team, whether that is you know whether that's going to be Eau Claire or Stevens Point this year, you know that's still a team that's really good and has been in the past. That's been a team that's been really good, and and that's one of the reasons why the YX continues to be the best conference in our estimation. Yeah, and on the other end of it, you look at uh, the MIAA adding Finlandia. And you look at the, the Sky Act, the struggles that uh, Occidental has had in the past couple of years. And so you have to factor that in, not just strong teams at the top, but what the what the teams in the bottom half of your conference are doing, what the very bottom team is doing. Maybe that's dra dragging down the overall average. In this case, uh, the MIAA shook out pretty well. Number 17 of 27, not too bad. And usually that's about where the, the Sky Act is. But I thought they were one of the other surprises in the list, too. Uh, coming in at uh, 23 behind the USA South Commonwealth Coast Commonwealth Coast Conference MASCAC and the New MAC, which are three of the conferences in New England. Yeah, I will get to see uh, half of the conference up close and personal on Saturday, and I'll bring back some audio, and we'll talk a little bit about that over the course of the next couple of podcasts. Uh, that trip is. Uh, again, to see the shoes, uh, Whittier has the shoes because Occidental did them a solid by giving them the shoes when uh, when Occidental was unable to field a team last year for that rivalry matchup. They decided to forfeit the shoes, even if the game isn't necessarily a forfeit because of NCAA rules. Uh, I'll be seeing teams 163, 164, and 165. Uh, be getting up somewhere near the 70% range in Division Three and a home site number 103. I'm, I'm really interested in Chapman and Redlands, although that's a game we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Well, that Cali trip is fun. I did it back in the mid-2000s. And uh, because Claire, you know, you go to Claremont Consortium, you get to see the five schools, the two teams, where their fields are basically across the street from each other. Um, Try to hit that on the trip. And then it's not too far from... Um, from Claremont Mudscripts and Pomona Pitzer to Whittier. Really the only one that's, that's kind of far is uh, is Cal Lutheran out in Thousand Oaks. But everything – and Redlands is kind of out there too. But everything else you could hit on the same trip. So um, 
you get you a couple of, like you said, in and out burgers and, uh, and check out a few campuses and you get to see a couple of games because uh, because you have a day kick and a night kick. Is that the place where I'm supposed to get it animal style? I've I actually don't know the difference. What a burger is Texas. Yeah. In and out is like I'm so East Coast, man, when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> You're a five guys guy. I actually am. I mean, where where I'm from in uh, D.C. or Northern Virginia is where Five Guys started. So uh, it's been around. So uh, like I was so the, the first time I knew Five Guys was a chain is you sent me to a Mountain Union game and there was uh, um, five guys in the Cleveland airport. And I was like, oh, did they franchise? Like, I didn't even know because it was normal to have them around here for years. Um, another real East, you know, I'm like East Coast kind of South now, though, too. So Chick-fil-A is pretty huge out here. I need to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace turf, who can decide which regional fast food franchise to take a team of 100 football players to on a Saturday afternoon. That's uh, the sort of thing you could do by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here, or maybe we'd be sampling it during the break because, you know, we get hungry. Podcasting is hungry work. So think about it and drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Andy Waddle, the sixth-year head coach at Marietta. First of all, uh, Coach... Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. Excited to uh, get a chance to sell the Marietta brand to all the listeners out there. <laughs> well, you know, we chatted before the season, too, uh, you know, basically right before the season started. Is this where you envisioned uh, the program would be right now, four games in at 4 0? Well, certainly where we hoped we would be. You know, I mean, uh, uh, I'm a realist and, and uh, I realistically. Uh, saw this as an opportunity, but, you know, knew that we had some tough challenges at the start of the season and, and throughout the season as well. So, but we've, we've managed to win a couple close games. And, and, you know, I think that uh, when you asked our team, we felt like it was possible to be here. Yes. You started with a team running the triple option. Then you had a complete shift uh, for the game against Capital and a big uh, challenge against Ohio Northern. Not to necessarily go through all of those games, but one of the big keys in two of those four games is the two-point conversion, the one at the end of the game in which you guys stuffed Capital to uh, win 51-50, and then the one at the end of the game this past Saturday where you guys went for it and beat Ohio Northern 43-42. The, uh, the conventional wisdom, right, is to go for the tie at home and go for the win on the road, so to speak, but uh, you guys went for the win at home, and I want you to uh, kind of talk us through that decision. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I think that every team is a little bit different and, and every situation is a little bit different. And, you know, what's crazy about the, the capital game, um, you know, we thought that we had a stop on the, the two point conversion and we were, uh, we had great pressure on the quarterback. He threw the ball, you know, kind of just up for grabs a little bit and they uh, had a receiver in the area, but the, the, the pass was, was short. However, we were called for pass interference on a different player. And, um, you know, I think defensive holding, I think, is what we were called for in a different area. And so they moved the ball to the one-yard line, and we had to stop them from the one-yard line to, to win that game. And, um, you know, credit to the to the Capitol football team for the effort that they showed us. And, and uh, man, that was a whale of a football game. Um, but leading into that, we had to – get two two-point conversions to kind of get ourselves in a situation where we took a seven-point lead. And so we managed to do that. They were both successful tries. And and then Cap gets down there and scores with not much time left, and they elected to go for the, for the win rather than the tie. Uh, we were at home, so I guess that's conventional wisdom. Yeah. Um, against Ohio Northern, we had jumped out to, you know, a lead early in the game and um, – maybe missed some opportunities to extend that lead, but Northern came, you know, came back and had scored 21 unanswered. Uh, our offense, you know, needed to convert, you know, a, a, a few, two fourth downs on that last drive. And, you know, we just felt like that, 
you know, the time was right to go and, and get the win. We, you know, we do our breakdowns every week, you know, your, your red zone offense versus their defense, your goal line offense versus their defense and, and your defense versus their, their offense. And, you know, we thought that we had a beat on maybe what they were going to do um, down there. We actually had a different play called uh, and they came out and they, they, they called timeout. And so we, uh, switched to play and, um, we liked the plays that we had, you know, in, in, in those scenarios. And we managed to, uh, to execute it successfully and, and get the win. Um, you know, somebody asked me why you do it at home and versus on the road. And, you know, I don't know. I think that's some, <laughs> some legendary coach probably said that at some point and it became a thing, but for us, we, we liked the the play call. We liked the uh, where we were, and we felt like that gave us the best opportunity to win the game. Yeah, I think rather than home versus road, I think some of the factors that are are more likely to be considered by coaches are, you know, what is what's the momentum of the game? You know, how how gassed is your defense? Have they been on the field a lot? How good's your kicker versus theirs? I think those are pretty important factors, and if if you're thinking about a game that might go to overtime, absolutely. I mean, overtime really can can be a kick game, you know, so uh, you want to make sure that you have the advantage there. And I don't know that that we had the advantage or disadvantage. I mean, our kicker has been pretty good. Not a huge leg, though. So, you know, you think about if you don't gain a first down, you know, you think about maybe kicking a, you know, a 40 yard field goal. And that's that's a bit of a stretch for us. So, you know, not something that we wanted to be in and uh, nobody wants to, nobody in division three wants to go out there and have to kick 40 yard field goals uh you know in overtime but we just we just felt like that gave us the best opportunity to win and 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 we executed it successfully i mean had had we gone to overtime you know i don't know that we wouldn't have been able to get the win but but certainly you know i feel like that you're in a 50 50 type of scenario and maybe we were were a little better than that maybe we were a little worse off of how we were playing but um, we felt like our, our, our play call there to go get three yards and get the win was a little higher than a 50, 50 before the season. Uh, one of the reasons that I stopped by your campus was just to take a look at that magnificent piece of gray turf that you guys put down on your field. How is, uh, what have the reactions been? I guess, you know, your guys <laughs> knew about it and your guys practiced on it when we had talked back in August, but now you've had a couple of opponents in there and you've had your fans in there as well. Well, I think that one thing I'll say is, and, and everybody says this when they come in, they say, man, this looks a lot better in person than what it does on video or what it does in, you know, in pictures. And um, and I think the same thing and you saw it yourself. So, I mean, you could speak to that, but I, I think it just it really looks great in person. And uh, most people have been complimentary. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be for everybody and that's OK. It, it, it's not meant to be for everybody. It's meant to be, you know, unique and it's meant to, you know, kind of separate us a little bit. And, you know, I think that our alumni base, the vast majority have really been excited about it. And, uh, you know, they, they realize that it's setting us up and making us different. So um, recruits, you know, we didn't get a re- chance to recruit with it a year ago. So, uh, you know, we didn't even, we, we weren't telling recruits because we weren't sure that it was going to happen. We were saying that things might happen, but uh, when it came in and, and, you know, you see it and, and, and people see it, I think that they get excited and I'm certainly excited about the opportunity to go out and recruit with some uniqueness to Marietta college this fall. I was looking at some of the numbers that uh, Tanner Clark has put up this season. Tanner Clark, your uh, your your number one running back. Do people and I know you weren't there when Dante Brown was the man at running back for Marietta, and for for that matter, I wasn't paying attention to Division three that well at that point either. But do, does he draw any comparison? Do the old timers talk about it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that Roger Walker got a lot of comparisons to Dante Brown. Roger Walker was our yeah. our All American running back that was here a year ago. Um, you know, I, I didn't see Dante play. I know that that uh, Dante was a tremendous player, and Roger Walker was a tremendous player. Tanner Clark's a different style back than than what Roger was. Um, you know, I think that I, I tried to tell everybody that we were going to be able to, you know, have some success, 
you know, running the football still. And I knew that because I knew that Tanner was a good football player, but I also knew that we had a, a, a really good offensive line coming back and a quarterback that gets us into the right plays and an offensive coordinator that's creative in his play calling. And, and uh, you know, so I knew that we would be able to have some success you know, running the ball uh, that I anticipate that he would be uh, leading the nation in all purpose yards uh, pretty significantly. No, I, I didn't anticipate that. Did I anticipate that he have a 300 yard game? No, not necessarily. But I, I felt like we'd have some success running the ball. And um, and I don't know who the comparisons are with with Tanner, but uh, but I'm sure if they're comparing him to anybody, then then that's a high regard to, to both players because Tanner's been outstanding. You guys uh, come off a, a six and four season. You start off four and zero this year, and and nobody overlooks Heidelberg in the OAC. I get that, um, but because this is the opportunity I have to talk to you, I have to ask you about the game at the end of your schedule, Mount Union. So we know that Mount Union is not next, right? But uh, what is what do OAC teams need to do to try to compete with them, or at the very least, is there just some intimidation factor of playing those guys that you that sometimes teams get uh, wiped off the map before the game even starts well hey let me say this uh first off we, you know it's great to be off to to a 4-0 start and and it's great to be where we are right now we, we wouldn't trade where we are to be in a different position but we've got six really good football teams left on our schedule no, six know. football six football teams that i mean i think you know, if we if we don't come and, and play at a high level, we'll have opportunities to to go out and not make you feel very good about the game that you played. So, you know, we're we're worrying about them all one at a time. We you know, we have Mount at the the, the 10th game of the season. Um, you know, I think that Mount presents a number of challenges. Obviously, I've never beat those guys. I've never really been in a competitive match with them. So, uh, you know, there's 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 a big challenge there. Um, you know, I think that. Obviously, they're tremendously talented, and I, I don't think that that should be overlooked. Uh, they're very well coached, uh, and you know they they expect to go out and win football games. So all three of those things are things that I think help you go out and be successful. Uh, you know, it, you you add on that that you know they end up you know playing four to five extra games a year, and they get that much more coaching and. And that much more time with the players, and so they're they're a challenge. But we will worry about Mount Union when we have them, and we understand that to be competitive in that game and to win that game, you know, you're going to have to do some things uh, at a higher level than than you do maybe other weeks, and you're going to have to execute. And you're certainly not going to be able to walk in there and be intimidated or or uh, or not live up to you know the way that you've played leading into the game. So um, big challenge, but, uh, you know, playing in the OEC, it's a great opportunity to get out and, and play some of the best teams in the country every week. Keith, I know that a Marietta Mount Union game is way down the line, but I had to ask him while I had him on the line. Uh, I thought I threw enough caveats on that question in order to give him cover to talk about a week 11 game, even though we're here in early October. Hey, coach has got to cover coach bases. You know, I understand why you, you take it week to week, but at the same time, you're right. That's something that we all want to know it gets to a place where as a team is coming up, they're sort of like the, the higher you get, the harder the challenges get. So even though you, you know, you can get to six wins or seven wins, eight wins, but then there's always that dominant team in the conference where, you know, that, that, that hurdle is just impossible to leap or it's really hard to leap. Sometimes you may even beat that team one time, but, it, but to get to a point where your program is consistently good and challenging the best team in your conference is uh is a tough thing in the case of of marietta of course that's a a school that wins championships in other sports they clearly have put um a lot of money and effort into uh football you know you watch the broadcast on saturday sponsored has it has a sponsor you know which you don't see all time in d3 and that's that's a i believe the sponsor was a you know like a grad from the 60s or something like that the, the gray turf obviously to set them apart and it, it accomplishes that you know whether we're whether we're talking bad about it or we're saying it looks great you're talking about it and that's more than you can say for muskingum or um wilmington or the other schools at the kind of the lower half of the the oac so now marietta is the upper half of the oac team and and, and you, you see them beat ohio northern on saturday but now you got to see them beat 
the Baldwin Wallace, Heidelberg, John Carroll, Otterbein, those teams, right? You got to start beating them consistently. And then you, uh, you know, then you, you, you try to leap that mountain union hurdle. Time to take a look at the big six games we've got this weekend. And Keith, why don't you kick us off? The kickoff in Belton, Texas, will be one of the best games of the season, or that's what we're anticipating when number seven Harden-Simmons goes to Mary Harden-Baylor, ranked number two. The stars at night are big and bright. Big in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Rarely have two teams needed to face each other more. UMHB comes in averaging 70 points per game and is coming off a 77-7 win in which it scored four defensive touchdowns and a fifth on special teams. Meanwhile, Harden-Simmons, number one offense in the country, they're averaging 633 yards per game and just bludgeoned East Texas Baptist 59-17. Those are the same Tigers that gave up 59 to Wisconsin-Platteville, but they scored 44 against them. So the Cowboys and Crusaders meet at the Cathedral, and not only does the winner of this game win the conference and go to the playoffs literally every year, save 2003 when ETBU edged the two teams on a three-way tiebreaker, but the loser, even if it does make the playoffs, has the toughest path to the Sag Bowl, which is in Texas this season, because of that 500-mile rule in the playoffs. So even if Harden-Simmons or Mary Harden-Baylor, whichever team loses the game, they end up having to face the other team at that team's uh, program, usually early in the in the postseason. This year, though, five weeks in, or going into week six, UMHB is settling behind settling in behind quarterback Jace Hammock and third-string quarterback Denarian Thomas has had a hand in seven touchdowns contributing out of specific packages. Meantime, Harden-Simmons did something similar last week with Bryson Hammonds and got 113 yards and two touchdowns. And if running back Jaquan Hemphill can't go, 220-pound bowling ball Zai Smith will fill in. Now, this was a 17-7 game between these two teams last year, 20-15 the year before. And three years ago, Harden-Simmons won 29-26. So expect a close one. And even if both sides score more than in recent meetings, they'll tamp down the ridiculous offense of the first five weeks. Now let's send it to Adam Turr. The game I'm most excited for this weekend is the game I'm most excited for this season. Number five, Frostburg State, travels to number six, Wesley, in a showdown of the two contenders for the NJAC crown. This is quarterback Connor Cox's fourth and final crack at the Wolverines. Three years ago, in his second career start, a wide-eyed Cox was held to 12 for 26 passing for 100 yards and two interceptions in a 44-3 loss. As a sophomore, not much changed. It was a 43-7 Wesley route, and Cox was held to 9 for 26 passing for 122 yards. But last year, something finally clicked. Cox was 27 for 43 for 222 yards and three touchdowns, but he also was picked off twice. Wesley blocked a field goal in overtime to preserve a 27-24 win. This will be Frostburg State's second game in the last 28 days. Through three games, Cox is having another stellar season. Malik Morris has emerged as a big-time playmaker, averaging 37 yards per catch and scoring twice on blocked punts. These defenses are both stingy. Frostburg has allowed just 7 points per game, while Wesley has allowed just 6 points per game in its 4 wins. Wesley quarterback Kalik Burrows already has over 1,000 yards passing and has thrown 11 touchdowns. His favorite target, Alex Kemp, has been nearly unguardable, catching 23 passes for 380 yards and 6 touchdowns. I'm expecting a classic on par with last year's thriller. The only thing that can make this game better, if it was played at night, under the lights. Pat, hit that new Jack City. Jack City. One side note on this game. This is a game where we disagree with the coaches poll. Coaches poll has Wesley ranked higher. However, uh, Wesley at home is the number six to Frostburg's number five would probably be favored in our poll anyway. Also, you can read a, a feature from Brian Lester for even more on this matchup. Yeah, those two teams are really looking forward to uh, to going head to head. It's their big game of the season. And same deal out in Wisconsin when number 10 Oshkosh goes to number eight Whitewater. Both the Titans and Warhawks are coming off 27-0 second halves in which they pulled away from their Wyack opponents last week. And in a conference without a clear front runner, it'll have one after Saturday. UW-Whitewater's won by smothering its opponents. The three touchdowns it has allowed this season, one each in wins against Dubuque, Concordia, Moorhead, and UW-Lacrosse, have come on drives of 11, 9, and 15 plays. The Titans, meantime, struggled offensively before their breakout against River Falls last week. They had three scoring drives of 10 plays longer in that game. Oshkosh seems to have found its post-Brett Casper quarterback as Kyle Radovich threw five touchdown passes last week. His Warhawks counterpart, Cole Wilbur, had no turnovers last week after a three-interception game against Concordia Moorhead. As for how the Titans and Warhawks match up, 
Look for a slugfest decided by a defensive play. Hey, where are you going to school next year? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Big school. It'll be the first big test for Bethel this season and the biggest test of the year for St. John's as well as the Johnnies head to Arden Hills, Minnesota for an MIAC game. Bethel has posted back-to-back shutouts of Gustavus and Carlton, although those teams are combined 2-7. and seven. The Royals, however, giving up just 1.8 yards per carry. Meanwhile, St. John's is coming off back-to-back shutouts as well and three in its four games on the season. Jackson Erdman remains at quarterback for St. John's, completing 74% of his passes so far and throwing for 228 yards per game. The Johnnies have spread their carries around, and not just because of the games being blowouts. Remember, St. John's is a new offensive coordinator this year, and they have high hopes for the team's production on offense. This should be a good opportunity for St. John's to prove it can move the ball against a quality defense, and for Bethel to show it deserves votes in the top 25, not to mention put on a show for its homecoming crowd. Now out to Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle on D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. While Frostburg State at Wesley may be the headline East Region game, another ranked East showdown will take place five hours to the north as number 20 RPI travels to number 23 Ithaca. While it isn't a battle of undefeated teams, Ithaca's Week 2 loss to number 4 Brockport was by just six points, and both teams have had cardiac moments on their way to this Liberty League opener, with Ithaca needing a last-minute interception of St. John Fisher to hold on to a seven-point win in Week 4, and RPI outlasting Utica in triple overtime in Week 3. Ithaca has been succeeding with its defense leading the way in the Bombers' first four games, with that unit giving up less than 14 points per game, including just 13 points to Brockport. RPI's defense has performed nearly as well, with just 17 points per game allowed. But the highlight of this matchup is a face-off between two Albany County, New York native sophomore quarterbacks, RPI's George Marinopoulos and Ithaca's Wahid Nabi. While young in terms of college tenures, the pair have an NCAA playoff appearance and an ECAC bowl win between them from 2017. Last year's matchup won by RPI 27-14 ultimately decided the Liberty League title tiebreaker between the two teams. Two Nobby interceptions helped lead to 27 fourth quarter points for the Engineers and Marinopoulos' first win versus Nobby in three tries dating back to their high school days. If Marinopoulos is to even up their career head-to-head record, his offensive line is going to have to continue to protect him as the line has allowed less than two sacks per game thus far and given Marinopoulos time to be efficient with him just throwing two interceptions on the season. Nobby though needs the same protection as he's thrown six interceptions against just three touchdowns. On paper, the statistics and the rankings would back RPI. However, this is arguably the best defense RPI has faced all season, with the Bombers defense averaging three turnovers per game. With no Liberty League conference games in the books so far, the loser of this game is not out of the running for the conference crown, but the winner will have an advantage before facing the winner of this weekend's game between Union and Hobart later in the season. Back to you, Guru and K-Mac. And finally, we finish with a game we've been waiting more than two years for as we finally get Case Western Reserve and Washington and Jefferson on the same field in pack play. That's when I felt leader of the pack. Case has won 14 consecutive regular season games and W&J has won 18 in a row because these two teams, even though they're in the same conference, haven't met since 2015. We know about Drew Saxton and the Spartans, but if you want to know more, check out Joe Sager's feature, which is on the front page of D3Football.com still as we head into the weekend. That's more about the Case Western Reserve freshman quarterback. And we know about the Zach Field of WJ. That's the three seniors and the sophomore in the secondary for the presidents, all named Zach. President Adams, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Jacob Adams has completed 66% of his passes and thrown for 17 touchdowns for WJ. The game also matches up the winningest coach for each program's history, Greg Debelak and Mike Sirianni. This game is all the makings. Hey, maybe this should be an annual thing. All right, Keith, it's time for On the Spot. I have here a quarter because we have to have a new coin flip this week. In honor of Castleton and Middlebury and Norwich, it's the Vermont State Corner from 2001. So uh, heads is, oddly enough, George Washington. Tails is a... uh, couple of trees with some maple syrup things hanging off of them. You ready? I'm ready. Since you're the one who's on the other side of the country, I guess I have to have you call this. So uh, call it before I throw it. Tails. Tails never fails. It's like we do this before. All right, here we go. It is tails once again. Do you wish to kick or you want to receive? Uh, I'd like to go first. Also, what's keeping you from just lying about what, what the coin flip is? what's the point of lying really what what yeah, advantage do i gain that i wouldn't get next week i don't know in any case on the spot this week i'll give you a game 
you have to figure out why I put them together or what the two schools have in common and make your pick. So if, if the example is Chicago at Illinois College, obviously what they have in common is Chicago's in Illinois, and then you would pick. Uh, I'd pick Chicago, whatever. All right? Okay. They'll start easy, and they should get a little harder. All right. I got six games here. Jeez, okay. Pacific at Pacific Lutheran. Well, clearly they both have Pacific in the title. See? And then you got to make a pick. Uh, I think I'd pick Pacific in that game. I I'll think Pacific Lutheran maybe next year as they continue to rebuild that program, but Pacific for this year. Cool. Don't feel pressure to, to give a lot of information if you don't know, <laughs> or even if you do know. All right, Fitchburg State at Framingham State. Uh, they're both uh, state schools in eastern Massachusetts, and I'll take Framingham. Or Framingham. All right. Framingham. I got to Framing. <laughs> Framingham is how they say it up there. Wow. They go... <laughs> I can't do a Boston accent without using an F word, so never mind. <laughs> That's wicked uh, something. Yeah. Alvernia at Misericordia. These are young programs that uh, are in the northeast part of Pennsylvania in the MAC, and I take Misericordia. Yeah, I would also would have accepted they end with IA. But oh, yeah, sure, that too. I, I agree that, uh, that, yeah, brand new programs. All right, Williams at Bates. Williams at Bates, other than both being NESCAC schools, that's probably not interesting enough for what you're looking for because every NESCAC school is going to every always play another NESCAC school. The Eves and the Bobcats, that doesn't help. Uh, Williamstown, Mass., and it's not like it's in Batestown, Maine. Um, Williams and Bates, it's... Uh, yeah, this actually really isn't that good. I may have to. Uh, I'm going to take Williams, but I'm. I don't know what the connection is other than the obvious one. Yeah, yeah they're just both like last names. Oh, it's like sure. A, you know, okay. It's like a person's name. Williams Fair enough. And, and Bates. You know, play the. Yeah, Bates, it wasn't that good. Play the Bates Motel music right here. Tufts at Bowden. If you get this, you get like a jillion points. Tufts at Bowden. Um, All I, right. Let's let's skip that one and come back to it at the end. Okay. Union at Hobart. Uh, Union and Hobart are the uh, two alma maters of the uh, uh, proprietors of uh, In the Huddle, the D3 Football East Region podcast. Exactly. That's that, definitely that's why I'm in there. For? I would take Union. I, oh, I, all right. I also would have accepted uh, Statesman and Dutchman. Oh, there you go. All right. But yeah, that one, it was the In the Huddle thing. All right. Tufts at Bowdoin, you'll probably never get it. So make your pick and then I'll tell you what it is. Uh, I take Tufts for sure. All right. In the bio that you made me write one year for the website, <laughs> I said my dad took me to a D3 game. Before I ha you had any idea what D3 was, we lived in Somerville, Massachusetts, and the two teams playing were Tufts and Bowdoin. There you go. It's uh, it's Keith McMillan's D3 origin story. It is. I don't, I don't have anything nearly as involved, but I do have something for you this week to uh, put you on the spot. All right. I need you to pick two invasive species to win this weekend. Whoa. What counts as an invasive species? I ah, see. I would love for you to be creative about that. Invasive species are otherwise non-native uh, species. Oh, so like an uh, like Asian carp or something like that? We don't have any... Uh... I'm not aware of any wow. Asian carp in Division Three, but you think... Right, of, that's what I'm saying. You like, think what... of team names that don't belong around here, I guess. Hmm. So, like, well, not a Wolverine. What's a good? Hmm. Yellow jackets. They could. They could be invasive, and I would have six options. Make your case. Right. I could. Pick, I could pick Defiance. I could pick Waynesburg. Howard Payne. Man, these are bad options. Randolph Macon. <laughs> Baldwin Wallace. You could. Um, Baldwin Wallace, maybe. Right, and it has. You, it's uh, two different species too. So if you pick, you pick a yellow jackets, then you got to pick somebody else also. Right, or if I pick a wasp or a hornet. You know, the ODAC has three flying, buzzing things. Yeah, yeah. And the Emory, and Henry, Shenandoah. Yeah. I'm trying to look for some, some good ones that are going to win. Hmm. Man. Hmm. All right, I need invasive species that are going to win. Dang, all the best ones are not going to win. I was like, Buffalo State is a good one. The Bengals, they're not going to beat Alfred. All right, this is not a stretch, even in the slightest. This is a terrible answer. Hanover, Panthers, to beat Earl. Okay, that's one. 
That is super cheating. Hey, would Quakers be considered invasive? Make your case. How is a Quaker invasive? Because they, right, they weren't the natural home religion in the United States. I would totally take Quakers. I would take Crusaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, might, I, I would oh, take. Tra- I would take diplomats. Oh, that's good. Because they because diplomats are by definition yeah. coming from somewhere else. True, true, true. Um, I'm gonna wow. I'm gonna pick against my alma mater, huh? I don't, I got a weird feeling about Guilford. The Britons, Albion Britons. Although you might not pick good. them to win this weekend. And also they 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 famously lost their biggest game. Not the Albion Britons, just the the Britons. Oh, the, the British. Never mind. I thought you were talking about the 1994 Stag Bowl. Yeah. Oh, they won that though, though. All right, I'm gonna take Guilford to beat Randolph Macon. Is that crazy? Wow. I'm gonna take Quakers and Han- Hanover's Panthers. All right, Hanover over Earlham and Guilford over Randolph Macon College. If either of those are correct, we'll talk about it on next Friday's podcast when we do the spot check. Uh, last week, Keith made me rhyme things. I rhymed them, but I couldn't really make them into decent sentences. I had uh, hope falling to trine, and that was correct. My rhyme was, Cope balls do mine. I'm not even sure why I said that or why I'm repeating it now. I picked uh, George Fox to beat uh, Pacific, or actually I said George Box repeats specific. Gorge Box repeats specific. And that, right. and that was not actually even correct, of course. Uh, Pacific beat George Fox. And then, of course, the famous rare font Bud Ships, uh, they went on to recleat my burn, although that was not the way I said it last week. Uh, and Claremont Mudscripts did defeat Laverne. For Keith, I asked him to pick an uninteresting game that would be interesting. We used the Hanson ratings for this. Uh, interesting, we define as being close within a field goal. Keith picked River Falls to keep it close against Oshkosh, and the Falcons were unable to follow up on that. Missed it by that much. Time for the random game. The roulette wheel is spinning right now. And it lands on red. No, I'm sorry, number 38. And our game number 38 this week is St. Lawrence at Rochester. Keith, not only do we have to give our quick preview of this game, we have to come up with a rivalry trophy for it. The really, really, really upstate New York game. <laughs> um, yeah, this is like a, is there an I-90 game for this one? Uh, Canton is a little far north for I-90, but uh, maybe uh, maybe there's a throughway reference or something like this. Yeah, there's not already a rivalry for this one, right? Uh, I'm thinking of the the Hoffman Cup, which is St. Lawrence and Norwich. So, yeah, St. Lawrence. That is and- some super obscure trivia that's sitting on the top of your head. No, no, man. I, I can Google really fast. And I'm blaming Google. I like uh, Rochester's chances kind of going forward here, right? Chad Martinovich coming there from MIT. They obviously have a long way to go because, uh, you know, U of R has uh, lost three games, each of them by massive margins, and they just beat uh, Alfred State by 6-20-14. I don't think that this is the year that Rochester makes that step to get out of the Liberty League basement, but it could come. Well, what I find interesting about this game is uh, it's the two teams at the bottom, or we expect to be at the they're, – they're currently at the bottom of the Liberty League, although conference play has just begun, so technically they're not at the bottom of the conference standings. But Rochester's 1-3, St. Lawrence is 1-4. What I find most interesting, to be quite honest, is what happened to St. Lawrence? Yeah, This was a program that uh, had hit seven wins in 2013, eight wins in 14-15, nine and one in 2016 – and just misses the po- the postseason, and then two and eight last year. All right, you know sometimes bad years spiral out of control. You get injuries, graduation, whatever. But you know you figure they'd bounce right back. Well, they were off to a one and four start this season, and it's an odd one and four start too. They lost by three to to Utica to open the season, and uh, and then beat Norwich pretty handily, forty to seven. But then they've they've uh, got a couple of bad losses since at Brockport. All right, number four team in the country. We understand 65-12. Lost to Morrisville State, 34-26. And then Thomas Moore, um, 48-12 this past week. So St. Lawrence just trying to get back on the winning track, but they're 3-12 in their their past 15 games. And this was a program that was a nine-win team as recently as two seasons ago. Yeah, uh, Mark Raymond, of course, left to take over at uh, Williams College as head coach. Dan Pacaber uh, replaced him. Uh, he did lead them to that 9-1 and season, right, in 2016. But 
the uh, they did kind of fall off the table, as Keith mentioned, and surprisingly so last year. Um, you know, we can always kind of we've been able to count on St. Lawrence having some big guys up front, right? They've had a uh, they've had a lot of success along their defensive line. We just haven't been hearing those names out of the Saints. And I went to see the game at which uh, St. Lawrence was playing Hobart, which was basically head to head for the Liberty League automatic bid. And you know, St. Lawrence was right there in that game. And uh, yeah, ever since then, they've not been uh, super competitive. Well, what's also interesting about this game is for Rochester and St. Lawrence, as you're looking up at really four pretty good teams in the Liberty League this season, whichever team wins this one, it may be their, uh, there may be their only Liberty League win of the season. Especially if you look at St. Lawrence, they're at Rochester, then Union, Ithaca, RPI, Hobart to close out the season. Should be a pretty tough run. Can you believe we just did like three minutes of Liberty League without having to call up James Baker and uh, and Frank, you know, at, at midnight? Well, that uh, precludes me from deleting the the last uh, forty five seconds of it. I thought I might trim that for space, but that's good. We'll move on. Fourth, uh, six one liners. That's going to be Chapman at Redlands, number twenty four Muhlenberg at Ursinus, Wabash at Denison, TCNJ at Montclair State. Uh, number 22, Whitworth at George Fox, and Union at Hobart. Keith, go. Well, Chapman at Redlands, last game of the night, Pat. You said you'll be there. It's uh, early jockeying for a position atop the Skyac. It just has to keep me awake, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number 24, Muhlenberg at Ursinus. The Mules are alone this week atop the Centennial Conference. And after Ursinus's 46-point loss to Johns Hopkins, they may be alone atop the conference next week. Wabash at Denison. Hey, a big red. They've averaged seven wins a season over the past five years, but they're 0-5 against Wabash, and only one of those was even close. Are you telling me nobody's going to score 68 points this week? Yeah, I don't know. How does Denison top what they did last week, even though they didn't win? Uh, TCNJ at Montclair State's the 86th meeting of the longest active rivalry in New Jersey. <laughs> Whitworth at George Fox. Hey, the Pirates are now the lead dogs in the Northwest Conference. So uh, every time, every week they play, it's a game we're going to keep an eye on. And then Union at Hobart, as we talked about briefly just a second ago, it may be a three or four way race in the Liberty League with RPI and Ithaca also facing off in the conference opener this Saturday. Right. We've spent a lot of time thinking about these teams in the Liberty League, but conference play hasn't even started yet. Time to take a look back at Quick Hits. Quick Hits, of course, is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games. We do this on the blog, on the Daily Dose. Uh, we got six people, each giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some set of opinions as to what might happen in the uh, week of football. Our regular panel of five last week was joined by longtime D3Football.com contributor Gordon Mann, who's run D3Hoops.com for the past two years and also broadcast Delaware Valley football. Uh, everybody took a reasonable... Everyone took a reasonable choice as game of the week, although it could be argued that the actual game of the week, of course, was that aforementioned Wittenberg at Denison game. Uh, Gordon was the only one to correctly pick a top 25 team to be upset as he took Franklin to Marshall. Popular pick, Delaware Valley, trailed 17-0 early, but rallied to win 31-20, while Frank Rossi thought Hardin-Simmons would lose. They defeated East Texas Baptist 59-17. We asked people to pick a road team to win impressively. Setting the adverb aside for a moment, everybody other than you and I, Keith, picked road teams to win. Keith picked Ohio Northern. I picked Huntington. Huntington lost impressively. Ohio Northern uh, lost famously, but neither of them won, of course. Yeah, I could, uh, would you argue that that's impressive to be on the wrong side of a great finish ending? Yeah, Fending is uh, a word of the week. There, congratulations! You're creating the word this week. Yeah, uh, but we the the word was win. The verb was win. So that's also important. Mm. Huntington lost to Methodist, and it wasn't close. Everyone except Frank correctly picked a team to defeat someone it lost to last year. Three picked FDU Florham. Ryan Tips tabbed NC Wesleyan, and I picked Central over Buena Vista. Buena Vista. And finally, we asked our panel to pick a winless team to win on Saturday. Ryan and Pat missed on that, but Keith took Maryville. Adam Turr picked Lakeland. Frank got Gallaudet, and Gordon picked Illinois College. Keith, I was just as surprised by Benedictine losing to Concordia, Wisconsin, as I was by Huntington losing to Methodist. I really thought those were both rock-solid picks. I was actually just really proud of that question. Uh, Correctly pick a team to defeat someone it lost to last year. As a player, those are the ones that burn you up the most. When you were, you know, a team you thought you should have beat the, the season before, you, you can't wait to get another crack at them, and it takes 365 or sometimes a few more days. 
You can see this week's quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. Yes, and Keith, thank you for putting together the questions last week. Keith, I'm throwing one last thing at you since we seem to go quick hits and I talk a lot and then we leave. I wanted to give you one more chance to say things. So I'm going to throw six games at you and you pick a winner. I'll throw them at you one at a time. I am so good at lightning rounds. Okay, bring it on. Ripping at St. Norbert. St. Norbert. All right, Kalamazoo at Finlandia. Kalamazoo. Texas Lutheran at Louisiana College. Ooh, I'm going to go Texas Lutheran. Hamlin at Carleton. Carleton? That's a, I mean, that's a team playing in the game. It's certainly possible. Uh, Hampton, Sydney at Shenandoah. I thought about this one when we were talking about uh, invasive species. I'm going to go Hampton, Sydney. I think they got right last week. And then Whittier at Occidental. Whittier. Whittier, Whittier could earn the shoes back. I watched a bit of Cal Lutheran Occidental last week, and I was watching it sort of with the intention of, well, I got this impression like in the first minute. I was like, oh, Occidental, they look like they're really getting it together. And then like the next three times Cal Lutheran touched the ball, they scored like in one or two plays. And I was like trying to hold on to my observation that Oxy looks pretty good, just undermanned uh, and, and doesn't have the depth that a good team has. They look like they're well coached. The players look like they belong on a college football field, but just not enough of them. And then Cal Lutheran, they were like run, you know, running through tackles and stuff. And I felt I felt like maybe my observation stunk. Whittier could snap a 33-game losing streak. We'll find that out on a Saturday afternoon. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 209, season 10, episode 13, released on October 5th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts. Spotify, yeah, we're on Spotify now. Or, you know, anywhere else you, anywhere else you can get podcasts. That will help other football fans find it. You can leave comments for us on the blog page. You can uh, leave a rating and a rating with comments, or you could just give us five stars wherever you could get podcasts. We'd appreciate that. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. The original music is provided by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr and Frank Rossi, plus our guests, Marietta head coach Andy Waddle, for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. We'll be back on Monday to wrap up week six. Catch us then. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.